Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better. And dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Hello, my dark darlings. I'm Marquia, and this is the Something Scary Podcast. To our veteran listeners and those just voyaging into the dark with us for the first time, welcome. Did you know that Something Scary is mainly written, produced, animated, and hosted, of course, by women? People are surprised when they learn that, because in horror, that's not often the case. So in honor of Women's History Month, I wanted to give a shout out to Janine, Sarah, Mari, Irma, Sapphire, and Gail, and all the female pioneers in this space who came before us. Keep on doing your great work and building a community of fierce females in horror. Luck is having great success or failure that happens by chance rather than through one's own actions. Finding a $100 bill could be your lucky day, but probably the worst day for whomever lost it. And that's the thing about luck. If you get caught on the wrong side of it, it just might be the death of you. First, finders keepers may not be lucky after all, followed by nefarious deeds with killer consequences. Then, be careful what you wish for. Finally, in our featured story, destruction lurks right under your nose. I receive hundreds of creepy story submissions every single week, and of those, the scariest ones make it into our podcast, along with the story that we've chosen to animate and post over at youtube.com snarled. If you have a tale you're dying to share, send me an email at somethingscary@snarled.com. If you'd like to support Something Scary, then consider joining our Patreon. As a patron, not only can you help the show and see ad-free episodes, but you can also be a part of the horror and hear your name featured in one of our podcasts or weekly video stories. Visit patreon.com slash snarled. So, want to hear something scary? The Unlucky Living In 2014, a Utah State Park manager said, he receives about a dozen packages every year, each containing a piece of wood that was stolen from the park and an apologetic letter detailing the sender's misfortunes. This is one of those sender's stories. 
inspired by Anonymous. Terrence and Kylie decided to go hiking at Escalante State Park in Utah. After a seven-hour hike, the couple watched the sun set. They saw plenty of signs reminding people not to take any petrified wood from the park, as it would bring bad luck. Terrence joked about how ridiculous it sounded, and it was just a scare tactic created to stop people taking stuff from the park. Bad stuff happens, so why not blame the wood? Or perhaps if someone's so afraid of bad stuff happening, it naturally manifests. But he gave no actual power to the petrified wood itself. Kylie disagreed. She was the type to use crystals to attract money, good health, and even love. She swore that her rose quartz crystal was what brought Terrence into her life. Terrence then promised he would leave the petrified wood where it lay. A couple of weeks later, a series of strange things started to happen. First, skin lesions appeared on Terrence's chest. Kylie took him to the doctor who did a biopsy, with results to arrive in a couple of days. Then, while leaving work the next day, Terrence was jumped by a couple of teens with a baseball bat. Kylie rushed to the hospital to find him, getting 36 stitches above his eye and bruises all over his body. The next day, the test results came back, and he had something called pemphigus vulgaris, a rare skin disease that once it gets into the eyes or mouth, becomes deadly. Kylie held Terrence's hand, weeping. So much had happened in just 72 hours. She held him and told him they would fight this together. But as he tried to speak, he couldn't form words. He ran to the bathroom, looked in the mirror, and stuck out his tongue. There were blisters everywhere. Blisters that weren't there seconds ago. Within three days, Terrence was in the ICU and on a ventilator. The lesions had spread eternally and he couldn't breathe on his own. Kylie refused to leave his room. As she was pacing the floor, praying for a miracle, she took his hoodie and put it on, trying to comfort herself by smelling the cuffs as she wrapped herself in it. She felt something in the pocket and pulled out a small piece of petrified wood. Her mind raced. This was the same hoodie he wore when they went to Escalante State Park. He had been wearing it almost daily since then. How did he not even consider this could be the reason for his bad luck? She was furious, but knew what she had to do. She kissed him on the cheek, then flew out the door to her car, ready for the two-hour ride to Escalante. The petrified wood sat on the dash. She saw the entrance sign for the park ahead and smiled. She could turn all of this around. Just then, a FaceTime came through, showing Terrence's cell. She frowned. She'd left him on a ventilator. How was he making any calls? She answered and there he was, sitting up, breathing on his own. Not a lesion or bruise to be seen. He rambled on about how she was right about the bad luck in the petrified wood. The entrance to the park was now in sight and her fingers were gripping the steering wheel tight. Just as she signaled to turn, a semi-truck carrying petroleum headed toward her, swerving to avoid a boulder that had just fell into the road. Crossing over into her lane and then overcorrecting, the tail of the truck skidded sideways right into Kylie. Her car was crushed. Her body squeezed from all sides with no hope for relief. Yet her phone was still connected. 
parents watched in horror, promising her she would be okay. Help was coming. He jumped from the bed, calling for the nurse to alert 911 when a loud noise made him drop the phone and it shot under the hospital bed. Agonizingly, he could still hear screams and crashing from the speaker as he desperately tried to retrieve it. Just as he grabbed hold of it, he heard another explosion and cried out as the screen went dark and the call was disconnected. The petroleum from the crash had caused the explosion, and he knew that Kylie's car was on fire. But he was two hours away, and Terrence thought helplessly as he knew the love of his life was burning to death, knowing it was his fault, his choice to have brought that bad luck into both of their lives. Thank you so much to Anonymous for inspiring this story. Do you believe in cursed objects? Do you believe in petrified wood being a cursed object? Would you dare to take that wood suspecting it might just bring you horrific bad luck? Would you try to use that bad luck on someone else as a weapon? Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Being lucky doesn't just mean good things could happen. It means the unexpected can, and its consequences are knocking at your door. Like in this story inspired by true events told to us by Noah. In Lurgan, Ireland, a ghost protects Shankill Cemetery, but her story begins back in 1705. It was a dark day for the McCall household. John fell on top of his wife Marguerite's coffin, weeping. His family were gathered around him, the portrait of his wife nearby. She was a beautiful woman, the rest of her whole life ahead of her. But just days before, the doctor had declared she had a deadly disease and after only 48 hours of extreme sickness, she was gone. For fear of the infection spreading, John had to bury Marguerite immediately, allowing no time to mourn. Her poor body, riddled with sickness, was so bloated no one could pry off her wedding ring. John insisted she be buried with the family heirloom as a token of their love. He wept, a shell of the man he once was, as he put his loving wife in the ground forever. 
The ground was still soft as two grave robbers approached the plot once the sun had set. They began digging as fast as they could. Within minutes, they reached the coffin and pried it open. It's our lucky day, said one, delighted to see the expensive looking ring. He tried to peel it from the corpse's finger, but due to the swelling, it was stuck tight. One of the robbers pulled out a knife, but the moment he cut into the skin, Marguerite bolted upright. She had not been dead after all, but had fallen into a coma and was presumed dead, not uncommon at the time. She struggled to breathe, gasping for air, and then she wailed like a banshee. One grave robber took off screaming. Marguerite reached for the man with the knife. She was disoriented, confused, and very frightened. However, the man mistook her desperation, believing she was a zombie-like creature trying to attack him. He tried to crawl out of the hole, panicking and terrified, but kept slipping. His chest began to tighten and he struggled to breathe. He turned and saw what he assumed was zombie Marguerite in front of him. The thought of being eaten by the sun-dead creature made his heart stop beating, and he slumped over. However, Marguerite's main focus was getting back home to her family, not caring for the man who had tried to rob her. She used the gravedigger's body as a stepping stool and clawed her way out of the hole. She walked the short distance back to her house, where John was sitting with their children, moaning and mourning her passing, and toasting her journey to a better place. When the door knocker rapped three times, John, still racked with grief, whispered, If your mother were still alive, I'd swear that was her knock. Oh, I wish it was. And sure enough, upon opening the door, John was confronted by his late wife, dressed in her burial clothes, blood gushing from her almost severed finger, but very much alive. John froze, and as the thing he presumed to want his flesh reached out towards him, he instantly crumpled to the floor. He was literally scared to death at the sight of his dead wife, now undead. His body had been weakened by grief and his heart couldn't take any more. There was joy and sadness in equal measure for the rest of the family. Marguerite was miraculously alive and relatively well, but poor John was now actually dead. He was buried in the plot Marguerite had recently vacated after they removed the deceased grave robber. Marguerite went on to remarry and have several more children. When she finally passed away at a grand old age, she was returned to Shankill Graveyard, and to this day, her headstone still stands. It bears the inscription, Lived once, buried twice. She is remembered by the townspeople of Lurgan today, and it's said that on occasion she can be seen wandering the cemetery, protecting the graves of the deceased, and looking for any who had previously wronged her. Thank you so much, Noah, for inspiring this story based on the true events that you shared with us. If you saw the ghost of a loved one, would you be scared to death? What would you do with your second chance to talk to them? There's an old saying, be careful what you wish for. Everything comes with a price and nothing in life is free. 
If you want something badly enough, you will have to pay. As in this story, inspired by Janine. Natasha hated her job. While some might have found estate clearing an interesting profession, she loathed rifling through dead people's belongings. She was only doing it because she was desperate for money. And sometimes she found something valuable that the local museum paid grandly for. Her ailing mother needed full-time care, and it was easy to make her own hours. She sneezed as she came across an old, dusty crate. She'd been in the attic of an eccentric old hermit, sifting through junk for days. The museum believed there was an ancient map somewhere with the trash, which required her to check every newspaper and pile of bills. Again, she focused on the money. Maybe this crate would finally hold what she'd been looking for, and she could just scrap the rest, she gasped as she opened it. There was no map, but there was a very odd and gross artifact. It was a shriveled, mummified monkey's paw. Natasha was a bookworm and knew a thing or two about talismans and the such. Without a second thought, she pocketed the paw, threw the rest in the trash, and went home. After bringing her mother some hot tea, she sat on the couch in their tiny, cold apartment. If she only had more money, she could afford a much nicer living space, somewhere warm, where her mom could at least enjoy her final years, she thought. She looked at the three unfurled fingers on the artifact and wished. Nothing happened. Natasha threw the paw onto the floor and cried herself to sleep. As she slept, one finger on the monkey paw curled down. One wish used. She awoke the next morning with a start feeling stiff from sleeping on the couch. She glanced over at the apartment door groggily and saw the mail had been pushed underneath. There was an important looking letter, probably another bill. Still, she ripped it open and saw it was from an insurance company. Her mother had taken out life insurance to the sum of a million dollars years ago, and they had been trying to reach her at the new address. Natasha wandered into her mom's room and froze, even from the doorway, it was obvious her mom had passed in the night without her knowing. She rushed over to the now cold, stiff shell of the woman who'd raised her, and she sobbed. Walking back into the kitchen to grab her cell, she saw the paw on the floor by the couch. The paw with now only two unfurled fingers. Suddenly, it dawned on her. She'd wished for money, and a lot of it. She was about to get it. Although, in the worst circumstances ever, what if she wished again, and this time wished for her mom to still be alive? It was worth a try. Her heart was already broken. She grabbed the paw and wished, and watched the second finger curl down, leaving only one. Natasha raced back into her mom's bedroom. Just moments before, the body had been stiff and unmoving, eyes and mouth wide open. But now, she was blinking and looking around slowly, seemingly dazed. Mom, Natasha called out in joy, rushing over. But as her mom looked at her, there was no spark behind her eyes, no warmth or glimmer of recognition. The mom thing groaned its mouth still gaping as if unable to speak. Natasha wept 
as this thing that had her mother's body, but none of her conscience or soul just stared at her. She didn't know what she could do when all of a sudden, the look in its eyes changed, and it launched at her, trying to bite with the gummy open maw. Natasha screamed and ran back into the kitchen, slamming the bedroom door and putting a chair underneath the handle. The thing behind it started shaking it, and she knew the door wouldn't last long. She ran over to the monkey's paw and hastily made her final wish. Weeks later, Natasha sat in the empty apartment, surrounded by moving boxes. She'd had to find a room to rent since she could no longer afford to keep this place. She'd lost her job, and the insurance claim was voided since her mom had not kept up the payments. Wiping a tear, she looked at the box next to her. Inside was the paw, now curled into a fist. She carried it under one arm and locked the apartment. She knew what she had to do. She'd sell this cursed thing to the museum for whatever she could get for it. Just anything to get it out of her life. Thank you so much, Janine, for inspiring this story for us. What would you have done in Natasha's Shoes Listener? Would you have taken the paw as well? Do you think that you would have done a better job with your wishes? And if your first wish went spectacularly wrong, would you try to rectify it by wishing again? Siblings often have a deep connection, a special bond. But still, trust your instincts. If a sibling's personality suddenly changes, if being around them goes from being safe to being in a deadly situation. Like in this story, inspired by Lucas. The Cunninghams looked at their new baby, Finley, with their hearts full. She had beautiful, deep brown eyes, and everyone fell in love with her, especially her big brother, Lucas. Despite being only six himself, he was fiercely protective. They shared a room, and at night, Lucas would read her bedtime stories. Late at night, he'd peek over and check on Finley, just to make sure she was okay. The night before Finley's first birthday, Lucas awoke to a loud slamming sound. The window had blown open, and the shutters were banging against the walls. He looked over at the crib to see Finley sitting straight up with her eyes closed, mumbling something. She had barely started to say mama or dada yet, so it was unusual for her to be babbling so much. Then she fell silent. Lucas rushed over to her and Finley's eyes shot open. He was horrified to see her wide, suddenly crystal blue eyes piercing into him. This was not his sister. He ran to wake his parents. They rushed in to check on her, but although taken aback, they mainly seemed unperturbed. They said sometimes a toddler's eye color can change, but Lucas felt no such sense of relief. Over the next few weeks, Finley grew fussy. She didn't want to be held. She cried nonstop, and she destroyed the books Lucas used to read to her. Again, his parents explained that she was approaching the toddler phase, and this was normal. But Lucas had a gut feeling they were wrong. He had a feeling it would get worse, because now he didn't know why, but he was afraid of the sister he'd once adored. 
Over the next couple of years, Finley grew mean and developed a vicious temper. She threw things at her brother, destroyed his toys, and even bit him. By three and a half, their parents were at their wit's end. They couldn't have company over because her tantrums were too much. They were just this side of dangerous. The only thing that calmed her down was coloring with a red crayon. She'd draw, then scribble over the same pictures over and over again. It was always two fairies. One day, when she was oddly quiet, Lucas bravely asked her about the fairies. She said they were her real mommy and daddy. And one day, they'd come back for her, and she'd make them pay for what they've done. Lucas was upset and scared. Grabbing her hands, he snapped, yelling that their real mom and dad were in the kitchen. Finley screamed and began hitting him. Her eyes rolled back into her head. She grabbed a sharp pencil and sliced at his face and throat. Blood splattered all over their teddy bears. Lucas's parents rushed in. They grabbed Lucas and rushed him to the hospital. Fortunately, he had survived the attack from Finley, but his parents didn't know what to do, blaming themselves for raising such a naughty child. The night before Finley's fourth birthday, Lucas jumped from his sleep, hearing the shutters clang open across the hall in Finley's room. He sprinted in to see what was happening. The windows had opened so abruptly that the glass panes had shattered on the floor. He rushed to her bed to find Finley sitting up, mumbling. As she slowly opened her eyes, he gasped. They were the same deep brown as the day she was born. She reached for Lucas with a smile on her face, something she hadn't done for years. Their parents ran in wondering what all the noise was, and she ran into their arms. They hoped for a happy end to this mystery. But doctors and psychologists had no answers. A spiritual advisor did. The parents were ready to accept any explanation. She told them that the blue-eyed terror must have been a changeling. That fairies live among us. When they have unruly and sometimes even murderous offspring. They can swap the child to be raised by humans for three full years. If their child kills one of the other's family, they get to keep the more peaceful human child. If not, they have to swap them back. The only thing the real Finley remembered was sitting with the fairy mother on the night the changeling was brought home. The changeling's parents didn't want their little sociopath back, but it was fairy law. As Finley and the changeling toddler were exchanged, she felt a dark energy. She looked out of the window and saw the monstrous fairy youngster with red, beady eyes. In the magical realm of the fairies, it would gain more power than it ever could in ours. Floating backward towards his parents, the changeling held Finley's gaze with a wicked grin. I'll be seeing you again soon, sister. This week's podcast stories were edited by Markia McCarty, Sarah Lukasiewicz, and Janine Pipe. Narration by Markia McCarty. Audio edited and mixed by Fitz Harris. Additional audio editing by Calvin Linderman. Art and graphics by Mari Carlson. Produced by Hannah Mullen and Markia McCarty. Executive producer, Gail Gilman. Music by Sapphire Sandalo and Calvin Linderman.
If you'd like to support Something Scary and all the work we do, join our Patreon at patreon.com snarled. And if you have a story you'd like to submit, send me an email at somethingscary at snarled.com. Until next time, my dark darlings. Sweet dreams. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com.